Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first class seat to one-on-one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. Also, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now, and it helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up, and let's get started. Declan Chan is one of those front row fashion fixtures that you always keep an eye out for at the shows. A fashion editor and stylist by trade, Declan also has become a favorite subject for anyone who loves to appreciate those who take the time to put a look together. Declan always looks put together, but with flair. And his outfits are just as eye-catching as the spreads he has created in the pages of publications like Vogue Hong Kong, The New York Times, The South China Morning Post, and Men's Uno Hong Kong, or the campaigns he's crafted for companies like Calvin Klein, Cartier, Estee Lauder, and Lane Crawford. Ostensibly, Declan is based in Hong Kong, but if you follow him on Instagram, his real home, up until the pandemic, seems to be on an airplane or a series of hotels, as he is continuously crisscrossing in the world to oversee a fashion shoot, attend a fashion week, or just be a part of all of the you-had-to-be-there fashion happenings. What I like most about Declan, besides his style, is his honest, frank, and often funny reflections on fashion in general, and fashion shows in particular. I always look forward to checking in with him at least once a season to get his thoughts on what he saw, the upcoming trends, and even which pieces he's already put a personal order in for. Declan's point of view is important because he has become one of the central go-betweens linking the Chinese consumer to the fashion catwalks, communicating via his editorials a sartorial message that will shape how the Middle Kingdom sees a collection, understands a designer, and ultimately which brands they decide to invest in. I know that once you've listened to this podcast, you'll be as enchanted by Declan as I am. Declan, thank you so much for doing this from across the world. You're in Hong Kong, right? Yes. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been wanting to do this. We've sat next to each other at I don't know how many fashion shows, and I've always wanted to like pump you for information, I guess is the nice way of putting it, to, to hear more about your career and how you got to where you are, you know, because so many people say, I want to be a stylist or a creative director, or, you know, or a content creator, but it's very hard to pinpoint, you know, the, the tools that you need or the path that needs to be taken to kind of get there. So can you kind of go back a bit and talk to me about your origin stories, how this all first started for you? I think like many of my peer, a lot of people working, what I do start from working at a magazine. Yeah. So I started working as a fashion editor at a magazine that is based in Hong Kong and uh, for about two years. And then after two years, I went to work at the department store Lane Crawford for seven years. Um, I was working in-house as the creative manager. So at that point, it was a mixture of advertising and um, in-house content project, like lookbooks and campaigns and stuff. But it was also a mixture of online projects and digital content. I mean, like, it was so long ago, so it's quite different from what we perceive now as digital content, but it was a good start to learn to do all of it. And um, it was also, like, a great platform to for me to meet all, like, the 
like photographers, stylists, like the people from the brand. So it was it was how I get started. Mm-hmm. And um, and then seven years ago, no, about eight years ago, I quit that full time job and started on this journey on being a freelancer and start going to shows and things. And that's how we met. Yep, that is how we met. What is it like working for yourself, being a freelancer, especially in the current climate? I mean, is it is it all you know roses and champagne and caviar, or is it more of a grind? And the, the idea of having a um, you know a monthly paycheck, you know, those are nice days to have. I mean, what talk a little bit about the the pluses and minuses of being a freelance stylist in this industry? I don't think having a full time job necessarily is a safety net right now especially there's a lot of people that were made redundant because of all sort of reasons so I think being a freelancer of course I mean it was tough at the beginning of the COVID like meaning for me it was really tough from March to June this year because there were a lot of uncertainty and then it's also kind of hard for you to go to like push the brands and like, hey, can you give me some jobs? You know, like, because everyone's just trying to figure out the way to survive this. Mm-hmm. So, um, but luckily, like fortunately uh, for me, the work start coming back from June mm-hmm. and it has been doing quite well after this. I mean, I would say, of course, compared to previous year, it was uh, slightly down, but but you enjoy but, the freedom of it. You enjoy the 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 flexibility to kind of create your own destiny. I don't think I'm never meant to be stuck in a desk. Because mm. I love traveling, like you do. I mean, you look, you do love traveling too, so you understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's just a lot of risk taking and crafting your own path. I mean, you have the flexibility to do whatever you want. I mean, for me, like my clients are from everywhere. And then the nature, the job nature is also everywhere. So like one day I can be doing a job in India. The other day I can be in Florence doing something else. So it was really great. It's just that COVID makes traveling so hard. Mm-hmm. So that's why I guess it were, I, that's why I said it has been more difficult. What would you say are the key skill sets that a, um, somebody needs to have to be able to do what you do to, to do um, consulting and, and styling and art direction? I think, first of all, you have to have a lot of contacts because you can be as talented as you want, but if no one gives you the opportunity, mm-hmm. you don't really have the chance to do your thing. You know? And then also, I mean, you need to be very flexible and um, you were able to adapt to situation because the jobs are really like it, it comes and go and it can be like very sudden so you just really need to be really organized and like be able to turn out something pretty quickly and then also especially for our times unlike like 10 years ago you can be like you don't need to think about digital as much and with what we are doing right now and with all the brands are doing right now, you just really need to have a thinking cap on about how it translates digitally for your work. So I think it's very important to have that sense of like how things look digitally now. Mm-hmm. It's not just like a print world. I mean, because it's oh, not yeah, just about aesthetics. It's really about like how do you engage people? Mm-hmm. 
Well, talking, talking about engagement, well, two things. One is, would you recommend that people who do what you want to do kind of mentor or intern with other stylists and art directors? I mean, is that really the way when you talk about, you know, get the network first before launching out on your own? I mean, that's kind of like the basics that you need to be doing. Like that needs to be your first step. I mean, I'm kind of old fashioned. I mean, I believe you need to learn the trade mm -hmm. before you start improvising. I mean, I know a lot of young people, they don't necessarily go down the traditional path. I mean, like they just start out as an influencer and then do it the way they want. But me, I mean, I'm sort of from an older generation. So I learned it like the uh, traditional way. Like I learned it through doing editorials and then advertising jobs for companies. That's where I learned my um, sort of aesthetics and then like my skills mm -hmm. and then it's more like now partially I'm doing this influencer stuff so it's about how to use those skills and use it in the context of like social media talk to me a little yeah bit so I would say like I would I would say like, I would suggest people like learn from the traditional way if possible yeah, no, I agree with you. I think, you know, make, you know, make your mistakes, you know, um, learn from somebody else before you get out there on your own, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I do want to talk to you about that influencer kind of part of what you do, because, you know, I think you have a little over 60,000 followers. So it's not like you're a, you're not a, you know, a Kim Kardashian or, or you know, even a Cardo or whatever. You, you have a smaller, you know, group of followers, but is it, is it even about that anymore? I mean, how do you, and how do you pivot your influence and reach to, to work for brands? I mean, what works best for you? Is it you actually saying you like to use this product? Is it you doing, you know, shooting things for yourself? I'm kind of curious as somebody who's more maybe niche, how are you able to leverage your, your influence online as a creative? I think like number and reach is part of the equation but also like the very important part is the people that you influence mm -hmm. like for me for example like if the brands work with me they know that i'm friend with um, a lot of influential people industry leaders like editors buyers and then um also like a group of friends that actually have the ability to shop i mean i seen i influence people that are actual customers Okay. So yeah. I, I feel like a lot of girls with like millions followers, I mean, they could have million followers, but also like maybe a lot of them are aspiring customers mm -hmm. where uh, I have a proven track record of the audience, mm -hmm. like being like their targeted customer. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like it's um, being a more niche influencer per se. I mean, it's, it's a, has a different appeal to the brands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also, I mean, like, I think brands don't necessarily just want to work with people with millions of followers because it's really about crafting their tribe, you know. So the brands, I mean, it's, it's a different appeal, I think. I mean, I think that in theory, I mean, for example, like if you are a brand, let's say if you are Miu Miu, for example, if you pick like the celebrity to attend a show, you don't necessarily pick just like the blockbuster Hollywood celebrities, you know, you pick like some actress that have done some indie movies, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's, it's sort of the it's same the thing. Yeah, it's all in the mix. You, you talked about some of your followers being people who, you know, are, are consumers of luxury that, you know, and that they kind of look to you as like a, 
um, a tastemaker and if you're, you know, have something on your, your side, it, it has more of an impact on them because maybe they don't follow many, many people. And I know you're, when we talk about niche, you also have the niche of like the, the Asian more, maybe even more specifically the Chinese market. Can you yeah. talk about maybe some of the misconceptions of the, the Chinese consumer, or is there a particular point of view that they have to luxury that maybe is not the same as more of the Western clientele? Well, I mean, like, I, I think the earlier assumption of Chinese customers are more like they're buying into things that are more loud and with logo and like more like the obvious stuff. I think with time, I mean, with so many years of development, I mean, I think people are really well informed mm-hmm. of what's going on in fashion and what's the trend. And then especially with the development of like fashion media in China, I mean, the magazines like are so well developed. I mean, it's very tasteful. So I think people are exposed to like more sophisticated taste now. So I, I think first of all, that has changed of what would really appeal to customers. And then um, I think the second thing is what I always try to present to my audience is things that I've seen in fashion that I think will work on Asian customers in terms of like body-wise mm-hmm. or I mean just in general because I mean like something that will work on a white customers um, doesn't necessarily translate to us, you mm-hmm. know. So that's always how I try to like shape my narrative on how to like slice and dice the contents because I mean like, everyone can go to see a show but what you pick and choose to show there is mm-hmm. it's also it's always down to your personal perspective mm-hmm. and that's always how I try to present what Asian customers want what was, I don't know whether that answer your question no that was that was that was good I, I like that answer I, I think that I also wanted to talk to you because one of the things that happened you know with the pandemic you know, of course, Asia, it was hit Asia first. And then there's also, you know, the the idea that very few um, uh, Asian influencers or, or representatives actually make it all the way over to the, the shows in Europe anyway. So there is a lot of consumption already digitally of, of fashion content. Did you really feel a, a huge amount of difference or do you think that the audience felt a, a huge difference seeing the fashion weeks digitally in the way it's been presented this last year. I know you made it over, but in general, I mean, do you feel like there was a real shift and a real change in how people were perceiving fashion over this last year? I've been thinking about that a lot too, because I think, as you said, I made my way to Europe in spite of the pandemic, because for me there, I mean, I wasn't too, I mean, I was willing to risk it too, just to experience it as part of my work. I mean, it's not, I mean, also like I wasn't, that's why I really can't answer like how has it changed like from the perspective of people that have missed out on the shows. Because you went to the show. Should have, should, yeah, should they have stayed to, should they have chosen to stay home? I mean, for the audience, I think it's, uh, I mean, for the actual normal audience that are not showgoers, I, I don't think it's much different. Mm-hmm. Uh, if any case, I think there is even more content for them to experience as an audience as opposed to just like a runway picture or video. As a show goer, I think it's it's quite different now in the sense that like the schedule is all mixed up. Like one day they are presenting like a spring summer show, the other day like like, like yesterday wise I was presenting like a SS 2011, but a few days ago Bottega and Balenciaga is presenting at different seasons. So I think as a journalist, 
Yeah, very hard to keep it straight. Yeah, it's quite confusing. It was already. I, mean, I don't know. What, what about you? How how do you feel no, I mean, about it was that? It's already confusing for people who are laymen's. You know, when you would say, "No, we're we're looking at the spring summer 2021, and we're you know, and that's six months ahead," or then you go back and Couture is you know just the next season. I mean, so it's always been a bit of a hot mess. But um, I I think that uh, I think it'll be interesting because I think people are going to be you know a bit more selective with their purchases and i think you know the whole sustainability aspect i think will be come into play a lot more also in the future i do though want to come back i, I do want to ask you a little bit about your own personal style because you are definitely one of the you know concrete catwalks favorite subjects you always have some great looks uh, for all of the different shows so how much energy, time and energy do you put into those looks? And I, you must bring cases and cases of clothing when you come to Europe for the, for the shows. How do you, how, how does that aspect of your life? And is that an important, you know, key part of your, the marketing of who you are, um, and, you know, towards the brands to get those photos of yourself out there? Um, I mean, for me, I like to dress up even before I start going to the shows. I mean, I didn't change mm-hmm. my style because I started going in fashion week. Mm-hmm. And what's changed is the opportunity that I get once I start sort of build a following. I mean, with the brands are able to like support like only new clothes and stuff like before the shows. I think for me, it's part of to keep that presence, so to speak, in the media. And then second is it's really a lot of fun to be able to have these clothes to pay, play with in a way, you know, because like, I mean, it's like, it's really like a, for me, it's like a kid going into a candy store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't thinking too much about like, oh God, if I don't wear that thing, I'm going to miss out. It's not really that. I mean, it's a, a lot of play with like enjoying clothes and having the opportunity and access to these like beautiful clothes and things. Yeah. I didn't think too much about it, to be honest. Do you, is it something that you just kind of, is it something that's planned out, you know, days in advance or do you on the, on the morning, you open the window and you go, all right, what am I putting together today for, you know, or is it, or is it dependent on what shows you're going to? I mean, are you also, you know, targeting a brand on a particular day? I I have always like each fashion month before I would have a mental picture of like what key items I want to wear Mm -hmm. and what I want to buy or request from the brand. And before each fashion week, before each city, like I'll do all the fittings. So I'll gather everything like in my room, in my hotel room. And then I'll just do my own style out. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I like to have things planned before the whole week started so that I don't need to panic each day on like what to do, you know. I mean, I, I'm a bit more I'm a bit more organized than I look. <laughs> it's more like an organized curated chaos you know you know what I mean <laughs> yeah how would I recognize your work what would you say is there something is there a signature style of yours or aesthetic of yours where I could be able to you know pinpoint that you style this um piece or this shoot I mean what is it about you that kind of you add in the flavor that you add into the pieces the projects that you work on um, I mean, for me, my mission when I first started, I mean, the first few years is I try to focus all on like Asian models and celebrities. Mm-hmm. I want that to be my subject matter. I mean, because where I come from and then I just think like it's best to how to build your strength and signature. So I try to just focus on shooting Asian models and celebrities. Mm-hmm. And then obviously it diverse. I think for 
my work is still a mixture of like sophisticated mixed with something edgy. I mean, I always try to like mess it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, instead, I mean, it's not. I'm not like the like a very straightforward stylist. I mean, it's as as you can see from the shows that I attend. You know, I mean, I don't necessarily just attend the big shows. I mean, I go to see all the small designers. Mm-hmm. I go to like the emerging cities. I like to discover new things. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm always trying to like mix it up a little bit. That's about it. I mean, like, well, talking about emerging fashion weeks and emerging designers, is there a particular fashion week outside the top four that you're just like, wow, it's really these guys are coming up. They're they're nipping at the heels of you know London and Milan and New York um, and Paris. Is there any f- other fashion week that's really you think is rocking? I think Copenhagen is really good.、Mm. Yeah, Copenhagen has really come up with like really strong、uh, lineup of designers. I mean, I really like to go again.、Um, I wasn't able to go to last time, but even I mean, I've been keeping an eye on like what they're doing. And then besides, what was was oh yeah, Shanghai Fashion Week. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I went two times. It was really eye opening, even for. Uh, from from a Chinese per- perspective, where I come from, so I think as the Western editor and thing, I mean, it will be definitely definitely benefiting you if you experience that. Should you be able to travel there again? Because now even like, I can't go there without the quarantine thing,、mm-hmm. so I'm planning to maybe make that trip in March to go there、mm-hmm. again. Yeah, because like there's so many new development with like new designers, it's getting really strong. Yeah. So for me, it's really Shanghai and Copenhagen. What do you think? Looking looking forward, do you think you know those are very different fashion weeks? You know, Copenhagen. It's it's very much that kind of understated, cozy approach, and Shanghai is not that. It's you know a completely different, much more artistic and colorful. Where do you see fashion going in the future? What do you you know after this year? I remember when we were at the fashion shows this last season, and I kind of found it uplifting to see so much pink and so much shimmer, like for the spring summer twenty twenty one. So I'm like, maybe people will be dancing together and and partying, you know. But by the time next summer comes around,、uh, if if the fashion shows are any indication, but what what are your hits about where we're headed? Oh God, this is really like a tough question. I really do. I really don't know. I mean, for example, I mean, I think the level, the keyword of comfort will still be like a big part of our day to day. As in, like, as fancy as the design, comfort is key. Like, for example, like the remember the Louis Vuitton like SS Twenty One show, the clothes are quite out there. Yeah. But like, they are paired with like really comfortable shoes with monogram、mm-hmm. and things. So it's really about that. Just a position of like making a statement, but the people can really relate to it,、mm-hmm. and like can wear at home, you know. So comfort's still going to be key. Okay. I think so. I think I miss the glamour that we had. I think glamour is something that's kind of out of touch right now,、mm-hmm. because where was the occasion to be glamorous for real? Yeah,、um, out your trash. No, that's not going to work. Yeah. It's really. It's really. Yeah, cause cause for example, like even the 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 East Saint Laurent show that they showed yesterday online,、mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, no matter how sexy and chic it is, I mean, you can feel that it's more grounded. They're not doing like latex. They're not doing like crazy broad shoulder silhouette. Mm -hmm. like evening stuff you know I mean it's sort of more grounded it's all yeah, like but there is a softness to it that wasn't there it's still sexy but it, there is yeah. A, yeah I can see what you're saying yeah yeah absolutely one more just kind of a technical question about and then I'm going to ask you the five generic fashion questions real quick but you're when you're given a, a, a brief from a brand what's your process like is it do you mood board it do you how, how what are your what's give me a little step by step about how you put something together if I'm working with a brand on building like brand assets as in like to shoot a campaign a lookbook and thing I really I really get a very vague brief from them I come up with the concepts and execution proposal um, myself and then to work with them on like getting feedback and then start from there like for me I try to do everything from scratch as in like I want to do the whole thing Mm -hmm. I don't want people to give me a brief and like, can you just do this and follow this? I mean, like, I don't, I don't really work this way. So, I mean, that's one way of being a freelancer. You have, you have your, the luxury of pick and choose what to work with, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, my answer is for me, I mean, I prefer to like, do like a holistic, like package from scratch. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I can see why would they hire you if they wouldn't, didn't want to get your actual, you know, point of view. Yeah, it really depends because some some job come with a really specific brief mm -hmm. and especially those with celebrity, because I mean, like with celebrity, you are not really, you there, there are more things to follow. I mean, you, it's not like you don't have a carte blanche mm -hmm. and that's fine too. But um, that's why I mean, like, I, I don't do too much of those jobs mm -hmm. because that's not what I love doing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, if I have a choice, I would prefer to work with brands that give me like a more uh, free reign to present what I can do as opposed to just receive a brief and follow. I have to ask you, this makes me sparks this question. So up until now, what's been your most amazing, most memorable campaign or, or project that you've worked on? I'm just kind of curious. I mean, I don't want to sound too nostalgic, but I really still miss the days uh, when I was at Lane Crawford, mm -hmm. when I was able to do uh, those campaign with like big photographers like Nick Knight mm -hmm. and like Ines Avenue and like Merton Marcus. I mean, to see how um, they really create images and especially those projects, I, I come in a place as more like a client so, and at those places, there are also, at those jobs, there are also like big stylists like Joe McKenna, like Edward Inimfo, like Marie Emily Sauvé. So I really, I, I could observe like from the best of the best of the whole industry. So, I mean, even though for those jobs, I mean, it's not, I wouldn't say it's my own creation, but um, for, as an experience point of view, those are the things that I learned the most. Yeah, I hear yeah. you. Absolutely. And I mean, at, at the end, I mean, I'm still benefiting from those things that I learned. I mean, I, I'm able to like use the thing that I learned from those, those times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. You're implementing them what you do today. Okay, yeah. let me ask you my five generic fashion questions. And I imagine this first one's going to be a little hard for you. So... What is your favorite piece of clothing that you own? Above all others, what is your most cherished possession? This is really hard. 
Wait, the most? Like, you mean one? Yeah, you got to pick one. Or I'll give you two because you are Declan. So okay, what, are, what are the two pieces that if you were, you know, the house was burning down and you could have to only grab a couple of pieces, what would they be? Oh, God, this is hard. Like, I, I mean, if I can answer, I would want to grab all my most important product archives, but there's like, it's really hard to pinpoint to one. Because I mean, like, I'm, I'm not like a vintage collector that I have like some really valuable piece. It's really like a mixture of what I love in there. Mm-hmm. But maybe I would say like the the pieces from the first Craig Green collection, because I think that's something that I wouldn't be able to find again. Okay. Or like from the really old Ralph Simmons collection. Mm. Did you buy some pieces from the already from the or pre-order the Prada uh, Raf first collaboration? I imagine you must have. Uh, no, I'll see what they produce at the end. Okay. Yeah, it's for me. For me, yeah, Ralph Simmons is really like one of my favorite favorite beside like Prada and Dries Van Noten and thing. But like, I think for yeah, Ralph is more like a collectible mm-hmm. situation. Okay. You know, not everybody has the budget to invest in, you know, designer pieces, but if you were to recommend to to people to save up to buy one particular piece, one item of, you know, of quality, I guess, uh, or or brand name, what would that be? I mean, I'm I'm in that sense, I mean, I'm very conservative. I would say like buy a Chanel bag. I mean, I would I wouldn't go to say MS because I wouldn't even say MS is like like uh, with the price range of an average person that can like get, but I would say Chanel is like totally possible. But I, I mean, yeah, yeah, you can never go wrong with a Chanel bag. Very true, very true. Yeah. Who is your favorite, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but who is your favorite designer, living or dead? Um, It's really hard to pick between Ralph Simmons and Musha Prada, but now you don't have to pick. I mean, you can sort of have both, you know. Yeah. Lucky you, Declan. Lucky you. <laughs> <laughs> you have always been quite the um, tastemaker and, and coming up with amazing outfits at the shows. But I am curious, is there a trend that you will never follow? A trend I'll never follow? Uh, it's not really a trend, but I would I mean, how do I, just, how do I address this? Like, I'll never try to go basic. Let's put it that way. Like, it's, that's why I said it's not really a trend, you know, like, I always dress like this crazy person with a lot of colors. Mm-hmm. You never see me go simple. Yeah, no minimalism for you. Yes. Okay. And then the, the last question is, what do you love most about fashion? I love the friends that bring together through fashion, the people that I meet mm-hmm. through fashion, because without fashion, I was this weird person at school that is really hard to find people to relate to. It's only when I started working in fashion that I I found that I'm not alone. There are a lot more weirdos in this world than just myself. Yeah. Declan, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.